0: So at our midweek service, we are currently in a focus on simplicity in life with God. This is in part focused on some of the classic spiritual disciplines as well as some of the lesser known spiritual disciplines, but not just spiritual disciplines, but some of the concepts that go along with walking with God in a way that doesn't complicate it unnecessarily, but helps us to focus on what truly matters. And I want to speak to you on this subject, uh, peace always and in every way. And we're going to look at Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 16 here in just a moment. In our last time together, we talked about journaling. Journaling is not a topic that's necessarily familiar to a lot of people, but it is a way of processing your life in a consistent manner with the truth of God. It's a good tool for a variety of applications as we walk with God. Uh, Journaling includes uh, communicating with God, transparency before God as we're bringing him our requests and our needs as well as our burdens, and it helps us to have a realistic perspective about life because we're drawing in the scripture, we're lining it up with our experiences, and we're keeping some sort of record about what's going on and what we're experiencing with the Lord and how we're interacting with the scripture. And I want to share with you from Second uh, Thessalonians 3 and verse 16 here in just a moment. I want to read this. Uh, but there was a, an old Peanuts cartoon by Charles Schultz. A lot of you probably read that back in the day. And Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody and I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie Brown says, but I thought you had inner peace. And she says, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. And some of us are like that, that if we have peace, it's hard to tell it because of how we operate outwardly. Peace is something everybody wants, but few people seem to truly find it. Uh, It's defined as tranquility, harmony, or security. The idea of peace is used in the Bible 429 different times, so it is a significant issue. And it's peace that comes to us even in the midst of the storm. There was a former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and historians uh, from England and Egypt and Germany and, and India, and they did a study on all of known history and the time periods of when there had actually been some measure of peace. And what they found was that since 3600 B.C., The world has known only 292 years of peace. And during this period, there have been 14,351 wars, both large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed or uh, wounded. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties have been made and, as you know, also broken. Peace is a gift from God. And there are a couple of words, one in the Old Testament the Hebrew and then one in the New Testament in Greek that define what peace is. And there's an interesting nuance to it because the primary word for peace in the Old Testament, shalom, uh, is used mostly uh, referring to uh, relationships. It's more of a relational level between God and man and then people. But the word that's used in the Greek Uh, is used in reference to rest and tranquility. So whereas the Old Testament is more focused on relational aspects of peace, the New Testament is more focused on the experience of peace and how uh, we might know it in our lives. So not only does God give us peace as a gift, but God commands us to seek peace. Now let me give you just a short disclaimer here about this whole subject of peace. Peace. There will not ultimately be peace until the prince of peace returns. There is an attitude in the world that peace can be brought about by politics, and certainly that's the furthest thing from the truth, um, or other means, but we're going to know ultimate peace when the prince of peace comes and sets things right, and we're going to know it when we experience it. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians from Corinth around AD 51. Uh, Within months of writing the first letter, he evidently had received a report from the city about continuing questions or problems uh, that were specifically focused on the end times and what the people might expect. Evidently, some in Thessalonica were being misled by false teachers to the point that there were people even forging letters to make them look like they had come from Paul. With false information and the main focus is that the believers were trying to stand firm in the face of all of these false teachers and Paul wanted to encourage them and set things straight so here's our verse for the evening uh, beginning in second Thessalonians 3 and verse 16 I want to read from the CSB and then I'm gonna read a couple of other versions here that I think help us to understand this verse may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way the Lord be with you all. King James says, now the Lord of peace himself uh, give you peace by all means and the Lord be with you all. And then finally, the New American Standard Bible says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. This verse is in the form of a closing prayer to the epistle. And what the Apostle Paul does is he appeals to the Lord who is the source of peace and he's asking God to grant the church at Thessalonica peace and he prays for the Lord of peace to be with them. Now a peaceful church will experience peace and joy from the Lord but a peaceful church will also provide a faithful testimony to the lost. Hardly a week goes by that I don't hear a story of a church somewhere that's in conflict or turmoil because of the actions of people and personal preferences and divisions and alignments and all the different things that go along with that. And every time I hear one of those stories about a church being at war or uh, disunified, it always makes me a bit sad because I know that's not how God intended it. And that's not how it should be. If people have their eyes on the Lord and they're walking in the spirit This verse is in the form of that closing prayer and he's asking the Lord to give them something that only the Lord could give them. So let's take a look at three aspects of peace from the scripture that I think will be helpful for us uh, to apply to our lives. And the first one is you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. Now I want to draw a verse in here from uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. I'll read that in just a second. But in Romans The Apostle Paul spends the first 11 verses laying a theological foundation. There is no more clear or thorough theological treatise in the New Testament than Romans. Romans lays the foundation of God as the one who's revealed himself to creation. We've all sinned. We're accountable to God. None of us are righteous or able to make ourselves right with God. God's provided the way through his only son, as we'll read in just a moment in Romans chapter 3 as well. And through him, we're able to be reconciled to God. In chapters 12 through 16, Paul builds on the foundation of the core of theology to talk about how it applies to our individual lives and then to the life of the church collectively. So chapters 1 through 11 are the heart of it. And then 12 through 16 are the application of it. Now, here's what Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something interesting here because there's actually a textual variant consisting of a single letter that would make the verse read, let us have peace with God. Whereas CSB translates it as we have peace with God. That's important because this verse does not refer to a feeling. This verse rather refers to an objective position before God. So when we're talking about having peace with God, we're not talking about how it feels, although it does bring actual peace to our lives as well. We're talking about our standing before God. And because of sin, people are spiritually at war with God, and the wrath of God abides on all people who have not yet believed. Back in Romans 1 in verse 18, he says that very thing. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Unless we come to peace with God on his terms, we will face eternal judgment. And to have peace with God requires justification by faith. Now to justify is to declare righteous. Righteous. And when we speak of justification in terms of our salvation, we realize that justification is an act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner to be righteous because of the sinner's faith in Christ. It's very clear that this is the pathway to salvation, that it's not about our works or our efforts or anything that we do to try to measure up in our own righteousness, but rather it's receiving what God has for us in Christ. So think about it this way. Justification declares a person to not be guilty before God, but part of that declaration of not being guilty before God is because we receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus. So it's the righteousness of Jesus that is credited to our account. So when God sees you as a believer, a follower of Jesus, He sees you through the righteousness of Jesus, and he declares you righteous in that, and it is the reckoning of Christ's righteousness on our account. Now, Romans chapter 3, that I told you I was going to read part of, I'm going to pick up reading here in verse 21. And he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, verse 25 says, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I love uh, what uh, J.C. Ryle had to say about this. He said, without justification, it is impossible to have real peace. Conscience forbids it. Sin is a mountain between God and man, and it has to be taken away. The sense of guilt lies heavily on the heart, and it has to be removed. Unpardoned sin this is the words of Ryle, will murder peace. The true Christian knows all of this very well. His peace arises from a consciousness of his sins being forgiven and his guilt being put away. He has peace with God because he is justified. You and I have peace with God because through repentance and faith in Jesus, We receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus, we're declared righteous in him, and then the byproduct of that is that we have peace because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. So when it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it's all about what Jesus has accomplished. But I want to emphasize the word with. What does it mean to have peace with God? This word actually is an active word that implies motion of direction. So the 19th century translations probably got a little bit closer actually to the original meaning. Young's literal translation in 1898 says, We have peace toward God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or another translation from 1890 said, We have peace towards God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can hear in that the active nature of the idea, and if the idea is a deliberate movement away from something and towards something, then you will see a person who is moving unhindered toward God because God is a welcoming God. So we can rejoice tonight that God welcomes us into his presence and that he has made the way for us to have peace with him. The title, Our Lord Jesus Christ, in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16, also considers all that Jesus is on our behalf. If Jesus is Lord, then that references his deity. That references his sovereign authority. That references the fact that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If Jesus is our salvation, then he is fully human, yet apart from sin. He's our deliverer. If Jesus is the Christ... He's the long-promised and anointed Messiah that God said he was going to send. And he is the only way that we can have peace with God. Through justification, the righteous requirements of God against sin are satisfied in Jesus. So what I want you to understand is that justification is not turning a blind eye to sin. Justification is not giving anybody a pass for what they've done. The Bible is clear that the very wrath of God rested upon Jesus Christ. And when the wrath of God rested upon Jesus Christ for our sins, not for his, but for our sins, what happened in that moment was it satisfied the justice and the holiness of God. So that Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid. And by giving himself, he's made the way for us to have peace with God. It's also abundantly clear that justification is apart from the law because we cannot earn justification by good works. In fact, the scripture is very clear that the purpose of the law was to reveal the holiness of God, the character of God, the righteousness of God. And if we violate the law, even at one point, then we violated the whole thing. If we're a sinner at one point, we're a sinner of it all, and we're guilty before God. And because of that, we need the shed blood of Jesus, and we need that free gift from him. So we can know for certain that we've been justified by faith and we're now at peace with God. I think one of the things that's very uh, sad about uh, churches and Christians that don't understand just how significant justification is, and they still maintain some concept that they have to do something, is that there are a lot of those people that are probably genuinely trusting in christ for salvation their faith is probably genuinely in christ they probably truly love jesus and, the, and a lot of them are going to be in heaven but they're going to go miserable and the reason they're going to go miserable is because they thought all along that somehow there was something else that they had to do for it and that's a different gospel that's a different means of salvation than what the bible is teaching and the worst thing is that would people would think that and then they're depending on their works and if they're depending on their works they're not going to be in heaven because their faith is not in Christ. So this issue of justification is important. Ephesians 2 and verse 14 says, Christ himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You remember the old song, uh, wonderful peace, far away in the depths of my spirit tonight, rolls a melody sweeter than a psalm, in celestial strains it unceasingly falls over my soul, like an infinite calm. I'm resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control. For I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and His glory is flooding my soul. And I think when I rise to that city of peace, where the anchor of peace I shall see, that one strain of the song which the ransom will sing in that heavenly kingdom will be peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. You see, peace with God at its core is a spiritual reconciliation between family members. It's a spiritual reconciliation between family members because it's reconciliation of us as earthly children to God who created us but who is our father when we are in Christ. And it's made possible simply because God has made the way and because Jesus was willing to suffer, to die, and to be raised from the dead on our behalf. You can have peace with God. And I don't know everybody in this room's spiritual condition tonight, but I would just encourage you that if you don't have peace with God, you'll never have the rest of this. This is where it starts. You need to trust in Christ to be sure that you have that peace with God. The second uh, aspect is that you can have the peace of God. Now we move from uh, our position to our practice. And peace should mark our lives with God. It's an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This peace is an aspect of the fact that the Spirit of God is indwelling us. You remember Jesus gently rebuked his disciples who were troubled that he was leaving them. And they were trying to figure out how it was going to be better if he left them. And Jesus goes into a discussion in John chapter 14. And he tells them that it is in fact going to be better. And the reason it's going to be better is because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to come and indwell them. And it says in John 14 and verse 26 that the counselor of the Holy Spirit, this is the words of Jesus... Whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. See, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would give them uh, understanding and cause them to remember the teachings of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach us and bring truth into our lives when we need it the most. And we can rejoice in this troubled world because Jesus returned to the Father, to the right hand of the Father. He's currently seated, enthroned, on high as Lord over all. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to us to indwell us by faith. And then he continues in John 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now a lot of times we'll read verse 27 And we'll hone in on the peace that is available to us, but we'll miss the direct connection that it's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you put these pieces together and you realize that when we come to Christ, we're sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us, he gifts us, he guides us, but he's the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit when we surrender to him. And that's why the scripture says that we're to keep on being filled with the spirit because it's the spirit of God who produces this in us. And this is a very practical application because if we don't love well, it's not because we don't have what we need. It's because we're not filled with the spirit. If we don't have joy, it's not because God is deficient in joy. It's because we're not living surrendered to the spirit. If we don't have peace, It's not because peace is not available or accessible to us. It's because we're not walking filled with the Spirit. So this is the key to actually experiencing these things in our lives. And we can only have the peace of God if we have peace with God. Jesus made it clear that his peace is different than the peace that comes from the world. Jesus brings the peace of inner calm and freedom from anxiety that comes from trusting in God. And the peace that Jesus speaks of is a general well-being. It's a contentedness because of what we have in Christ. And Jesus had been troubled when he, when he realized that the hour of the cross was drawing near. He was troubled when he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Uh, and it was through praying and through knowing the will of the Father that Jesus fought for that peace. And then Jesus secured that peace for us so that we could not only have peace with God, but we could have the peace of God. And that's why Jesus was able to say to us, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have to take control over the chaos in your life and over the emotions that you experience but you can't do it in your own strength. The only way that you can take control of those things and live in the strength that God intends for you is to yield to him, and his power will bring it to pass in your life. There was a name from the Middle Ages, a reformer by the name of Nicholas Ridley. He was a man who parted ways with the state church at the time on a number of issues, but One major issue that he did not agree with was the doctrine of transubstantiation. And the idea of transubstantiation, without going too far into the weeds, is that the bread and the cup in the Lord's Supper actually supernaturally become the body of Jesus in the event. It's a Catholic teaching. The Catholic teaching is saying that there's something that's actually happening to those elements rather than than them being symbolic and spiritual. There's something else that's going on there. And for Ridley, this was a big problem because essentially what it says is that that sacrifice is repeated over and again. And it was a once and for all sacrifice. So if you believe in transubstantiation from Ridley's perspective, uh, the sacrifice was not repeated, but rather Worshippers offer themselves as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. So as Bishop of London, uh, Ridley had stone altars replaced by wooden tables for observing communion. That caused an uproar in the city. He also started pastoral work in the city. He helped the poor. They founded a hospital and some schools. And just before King Edward died, Ridley unwisely, at least for his life, supported the claim of Lady Jane Grey to the throne. When Mary became queen, Ridley was imprisoned at the Tower of London. He was joined by Hugh Latimer and Thomas Cranmer, who were also famous names, of course. And all three were taken to Oxford where their heretical opinions, and I say heretical in quote marks, were examined. When he was given an opportunity to recant his views, Ridley declined and he was condemned to be burned. So in 1555, Dr. Nicholas Ridley was sentenced to be burned at the stake in England because of his witness for Christ. He was 55 years old. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber so he could assist him and be a comfort to him. Nicholas Ridley declined the offer, and he said, and I quote, I intend, God willing, to go to bed, and sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. This was a man who knew the peace of God and he could rest in the strength of the everlasting Lord to meet his need. Now, the rest of the story is that Ridley burned extremely slowly when uh, they executed him, and he suffered a great deal. In fact, it's said that his brother in law put more tinder uh, on the fire in order to speed his death. But all it did was burn his lower parts more quickly. Latimer is supposed to have said to Ridley, be of good cheer, be of good comfort, and play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust will never be put out. Now you can read the full story in Fox's Book of Martyrs if you're interested in a little bit of church history. But I say that because we can have peace regardless of what circumstances are. Circumstances don't determine whether or not you can experience the peace of God. And obviously, most of us are never going to face a trial of our faith anywhere near like what I just shared with you. But we all will go through difficult times. And if we're living for Christ, and if we're not afraid of darkness, and we take light into darkness, we're going to experience trouble. And we're going to experience unrest And during those times, we have an opportunity to fix our eyes on Jesus and to trust in Jesus like never before. And what happens is just like when you're going through the struggles of life and you're going through the valleys and you're depending on God more and more and he's building your faith and you're seeing God be faithful. God does the same thing when we experience these spiritual trials and he gives us what we need in the moment and the strength to get through. And it was Jesus who prepared his disciples to hold fast in difficult times. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is from Isaiah 26 where it says that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And that's what our goal is, is to stay our minds on the Lord. I like the words of the 5th century Celtic Christian St. Patrick. We're almost into March. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me and Christ in the ear that hears me. A lot of people would not have enough evidence if they were put on trial for being a Christian to be convicted. And this is a man who said, anything people think about me I want them to think about Christ. How is Christ with us? Through the Holy Spirit. Living within us. When you're nervous and you're afraid. You can hold fast to the promises of God. Because he's he's promised he'll never leave you. When you can't fall asleep. You can ask him to give you peace. When you're not filled with joy. You can thank him for his grace. In your life. The secret. The secret. Of peace is a relationship with Jesus who is our peace. Whether it's sickness, financial problems, dangers, family issues, Jesus is our peace. So you can have peace with God. You can have the peace of God. And then finally, the third aspect is you can have peace with others. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is relational. This is connects to your family dynamics, your friendships, your work relationships, your church friends, people you serve with, it applies to it all. And I want you to know that the commitment to make peace in the Bible is a big deal. A peacemaker brings reconciliation where there was formerly conflict. A peace that settles things. You think about the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are statements of blessing that come from the Sermon on the Mount. And the word beatitude from the the Latin uh, means blessedness. So they focus on divine joy and complete happiness in God. And I want to read just one beatitude from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Here it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are going to mourn over sin. We're going to desire to purify our lives so that we're not the problem. There's nothing like a major conflict to drive you to the Lord, to search your own heart, to find out what's going on in it. And you waste a good opportunity if you're in the midst of a conflict and you're not asking questions about what your role might have been in it or or if you didn't have a role or cause it. What is God teaching you through it? Don't waste a good opportunity when those times come to really learn about yourself and about the situation. But we want to purify our lives and we want to help other people do the same. So here's one way I thought about this. Everybody likes the idea of peace, but not everybody wants to put in the work to have peace. Everybody likes the idea of peace with other people, but not everybody's willing to do their part to actually have peace. And a peacemaker is going to seek to reconcile people to God. And we will share the gospel ultimately because we want to see people at peace with God. So one of the best ways that we can be a peacemaker is by sharing the hope of Jesus with people. Because if they're reconciled with God, and then they have a hunger for God, and they're following after God, and they're wanting to know God, then it's going to flow down to every relationship in their lives because of the presence of the Spirit. And a peacemaker is going to seek to reconcile people as well to one another, ourselves and otherwise. You say, where where would you go for that in the Scripture? Well, I would point out just a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, In verse 23 and 24, I won't read it right now, but it it indicates that if we go to the altar to offer a gift and somebody has something against us, we should leave the gift, make an attempt to reconcile with the person, and then offer the gift to God. The scripture also says that we have a ministry of reconciliation. The church believers have been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation. And are we faithfully carrying out that ministry of reconciliation? A peacemaker is going to be concerned about their relationships with others as well. And here comes the hard part. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says, If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. You cannot force peace in relationships. If half of the conflict is not willing to own their part and be repentant about it and desire reconciliation, it's not going to happen. So that's why it says as much as it depends on you, you cannot control how somebody else is going to respond to you. And I've known people that have had conflicts in families, for for example, for decades. And as far as they were concerned, they wanted peace. They sought after peace. They were open to peace, but the other party was not. What do you do at that point? You give it over to God. You can't force anything because if somebody's heart's not right and they don't own responsibility for their actions and they don't really care anything about reconciliation, and in fact, some people still continue to try to do damage because of their selfishness. We do what we can, and then we leave it to God, because dealing with God is going to be far worse than dealing with us when we have to answer to him and be accountable to him. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3, Paul's dealing with a situation in the church, and he said, I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche uh, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also say to you, true companion, help them, They've struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's saying, these people are their names are in the book of life. They've they've labored in the gospel. They've they've served the church. They've tried to do their part. And they're not getting along for some reason. We don't know exactly why, but they're not getting along. So Paul says, listen, try to try to get that together. And that should be our mentality in the church, as much as it depends on us when we can, is to bring people together when we see conflict and we see. Division and we see disunity and we see disagreements. Our responsibility should be, as much as it depends on us, to try to arrive at a place of peace. Because here's what division does it opens the door for Satan and it hinders the blessings of God. There's a story from the fifth century. Uh, there's a, there was a monk by the name of Telemachus who'd been living by himself in the desert. He decided he was going to devote himself to God. He decided he couldn't serve God without serving other people. So he abandons his life of solitude and he travels to the city of Rome and he arrives just in time to watch a victory celebration where Gothic prisoners were being forced to battle one another to the death as gladiators. Now, ironically, Rome considered itself a Christian city at that time, but also ironically, was the churches would empty to go and see these competitions. And when the monk saw the crowd that had gathered for his event that day, there were 80,000 people thirsty for blood as gladiators fought each other, and he was horrified. Telemachus leapt into the arena, and he placed himself in between the two men, pleading with them to stop the conflict. Furious over the delay in their entertainment, the spectators stoned the monk to death. Three days later, the emperor declared him a martyr and did away with gladiatorial contests for good. Telemachus had achieved his goal, but it cost him his life. Now, this is a true story that makes a good spiritual parallel by way of illustration, that jesus has broken down the middle wall of separation for us between us and god and he has ended the hostility when our faith is in him because he gave of his life to accomplish it the days of the gladiators are long past but what about us what's our arena where do we carry on our work of peacemaking If somebody knew you, would they describe you as one thing they know about you is you're a peacemaker. Which should be a characteristic because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. God cares about this. And this is a trait that we should desire. And peacemakers have to be conscious of sin in their own lives. We need good communication skills. We need to be able to interact with people. And we need to be willing to return good for evil. And we got to be willing to persevere And then leave the outcome to God because it's not in our control. We may do everything that we possibly can to make peace. And it still doesn't happen. That doesn't mean we were a failure if we've submitted ourselves to God. And it also doesn't mean that God's not going to deal with the issue eventually in his timing and his way according to his wisdom. But it doesn't change our responsibility of what we are supposed to be doing and how we are supposed to be acting. I close with this quote from Thomas Watson. If God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there's a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. Let me say that again. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. So what's our source of peace? It's peace with God. It's the God of peace. It's the peace of God. It's the Lord of peace. What's the nature of peace? It's the peace of a quiet conscience and a restful mind and a surrendered will and a hopeful heart and a loving fellowship. What's the duration of peace? Well, Jesus said, I'll give you peace always. That's the duration. That's the promise. So while we deal with conflict now and we manage it and we seek to be peacemakers... There's coming a day when we'll be in heaven in the presence of God and there'll be no more need to make peace because everything will be in perfect peace. And I can't really even conceive of what that's going to be like, but I like the idea of it. I look forward to it. I'm excited about it because we're going to be in perfect peace in the presence of the Lord. And that peace is available to all of us right now. If we will only surrender to him. Let's bear our heads together for a moment as we pray. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. Maybe you're feeling like your whole life's in turmoil, or maybe you're just dealing with a situation that's got you uh, feeling like that. And the Lord brought you here tonight for a reason, to be reminded of some things you probably already know, but that you need to apply to your life And I wonder whatever it is that you're dealing with right now that is bringing a lack of peace in your life. If you'd be willing to totally surrender that to the Lord. Doesn't mean you're not going to have an active part in some of the solutions. but, But would you surrender what's causing you the most anxiety and stress and worry to the Lord? And ask him to give you the peace that you need in your daily life? Maybe it's a relationship that's broken and uh, you've not done as much as it depends on you to bring peace. And the Lord's prompting you to take that step. And then maybe some of you have been in those situations and you've done what you could and it's still not peaceful. That's also a point of surrender because you can't control how somebody else is going to respond. But you can control what you do And how you respond and what your spirit is and trust that the Lord is going to make all things right. Father, I'm grateful that when we focus on you and we make the main thing, the main thing, that we can have a peace that passes all understanding, that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that that would be the case for each one of us. And I thank you for the measure of peace that we uh, enjoy in our church family. It's not without diligence, it's not without a lot of prayer, it's not without a lot of cooperative people, but even so, we're grateful for it and pray that you would guard it and watch over it. Uh, We know what a lack of peace is like, and we thank you for uh, just granting that to us in Christ. Uh, Lord, bless the remainder of the week ahead of us. Help us to use it well and be good stewards of it and to glorify your name. And help us to be described as the people that are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Experience the blessing of God. We pray it all in your name. Amen.